warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Daily podcast, the very British podcast about very British movies. It was just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott. Here, it's a bizarre situation because there's four of us today. One is actually in the studio. Let's go to somebody who's actually physically sitting next to me, and it's our old friend Tony. Good morning. Good morning. It's been yeah. a while, <laughs> in the years, in fact, since I've been sat opposite you. <laughs> in in these days where we think that COVID is actually over. You sent me quite a worrying text the other day, just before. Yeah, syphilis outbreak. No, <laughs> <laughs> no my um, my boy's got the dreaded chicken pox, um, so I just wanted to make sure he's all right for me to come round. I've had it before, everyone, and I've got no spots, well, no additional spots to normal anyway. Just make sure you don't breathe on me, for God's sake. Look, luckily, we've got two other guests at a very safe distance. Hello, Stephen. Hi, mate. Lots of people here today. Hello, mate. It's yeah. amazing to, to have so many people uh, want, wanting to be on uh, with us. More people than listeners for a change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right there, Tom. And our extra special guest today is our dear friend Anthony from the Glass Onion on John Lennon podcast, Film Gold, and the third one whose name I always forget. Good morning, mate. Hello, how are you doing? This is the most chaotic Sunday morning I've had for ages. With careful editing, the listener will not understand the chaos that is going on around us at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Four-way Skype meeting. Well. Yes, yes, we're there, we're there. How is everybody? All okay, I take it. Lovely. Yeah, great, great. Living a dream. Right. <laughs> Today's movie is A Fish Called Wanda. Now, technically speaking, it's Anthony's choice. But I sort of hijacked it because the last time the three of us were together... It was going to be my choice of movie, but we were all pretty keen to do this. So I sort of said, well, let's do Anthony's choice of a fish called Wanda. So we're going to treat this as your movie then, Anthony. So why? Why are we doing a fish called Wanda? What's what's so special about this movie for you, mate? I mean, it's one that does go back a long way. I think I saw it. It came out in 88, right? So I saw it at the cinema when I was about 13. And I was t- very much steeped in Faulty Towers from a, a young age. So I saw it as a kind of, I saw his character as a kind of, Calmer version of Basil Fawlty, and I just <laughs> thought the film was fantastic. Recorded it, you know that you know what's coming now. Recorded it off the telly, yeah. Watched it about four hundred times, completely killed it, and then didn't watch it again for twenty years. Ah. But the thing that I just watched it the other night, the thing that struck me was how brilliant the plot is as well. I knew it was going to be funny, like I was obviously I was chuckling all the way, but don't you think the plot is fantastic? Like it's really intricate. And, there's a lot to yeah. it because there's. <laughs> four or five main characters and they all get equal sort of billing and screen time almost as well don't they you know we'll we'll, we'll sort of go into the intricacies of the plot and the absolutely and the yeah. screenplay as we go along Stephen, i mean i'm pretty sure you'd seen this a few times before yeah i have done yeah i mean i'm just happy that we all 
survived it and didn't laugh ourselves to death. Come back come to that later. But saw it round about the time it first came out and um watched it a few times afterwards. Didn't watch it then for quite a while. And I think the last time I watched it before the other day was probably two or three years ago. Yeah. Um but I think Anthony's, you know, correct that there's there's a lot of layers to it that, you know, with regards to how well it's done and what it actually hits the, the points on with regards to, you know, some stuff that's a bit more, it's a caper with a slapstick. And then there's also the the wit of the, the lines and the way that, the you know, the characters keep folding back on them, you know, themselves plot wise because they keep getting set back. So there's to some extent the set pieces are repeated, but done play out differently yes yeah. um so there's a lot there's a lot to it absolutely and and lots of bits of cleverness in there if you know what to sp- spots um for example you know the playing around with with names and um, the fun they have with that yes yeah we'll go into that as well archie leach yeah. being one of them yeah oh, and every time tony's here i always have to check with him were you were you actually born when no. this came out you weren't <laughs> this is one of those ones that's an oldie but goodie for you yeah <laughs> It's only a few years though, surely. Seven, I think. Something wow, like it's even six. then. So this is like a classic to you, then. I wouldn't say classic, but <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and you've, seen, you've seen it before, loads of times. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. So that's one of your turns. It's, it's obviously going to be one of your movies. I could tell because of um, the nature of it and the cast and all that sort of thing. And, and there is some pedigree, guys, isn't there, with regard to the director and sort of the film crew as well, but that are involved in this. So yeah. Mm. Okay, without further ado, it's a fish called Wanda. We'll be back after this. Otto is a man of many talents. Hey, great fish. Oh, that'll squeeze a lemon, some tartar sauce. Ken is a man of few words. Tell him from me. George is the man with the plan. 13 millions, my friends. And Wanda. Do you speak Italian? Molto pericoloso. Is the woman they love. They all set out to commit the perfect crime. To 20 million. To a job well done. But it turned into something... George moved the loot? Less than perfect. Disappointed! So they turned to a lawyer named... Archie Leash. Leach. George is going to tell him what the diamonds are. With Wanda as the bait. I want you to make love with me. Pop. Nothing, nothing. He's really hooked. I thought you weren't jealous. I'm not. I don't believe in jealousy. It's for the weak. Come a girl as bright as you could have a brother who's so... Don't call me stupid. I'm really, really sorry. I apologize unreservedly. Are you totally deranged? You're afraid so, old chap. John Cleese. Will you leave immediately, please? Jamie Lee Curtis. Kiss me there. Kevin Clyde. Put the other one up. Michael Palin. May I kiss you, Ken? No, you can't! A fish called Wonder. <laughs> A smashing. Oh, dear. Comedy. Okay, A Fish Called Wanda, released in 1988, directed by Charles Crichton. Starring John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, Michael Palin, Mariah Aitken, Tom George, and Patricia Hayes and Jeffrey Palmer are with us as well in this movie. I think most people know the plot. It's very briefly described here in IMDb as, In London, four very different people team up on a jewel heist then try to double-cross one another for the loot, complicated by their efforts to fool a very proper barrister. We've got to be careful with four of us here so we don't talk over each other, but I'm just going to put it out there. This is a modern-day healing comedy, guys, isn't it? 
Uh, I have a nice. Yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, good start. <laughs> God's you, you go, you go, you go. I would say, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's elements of that from um, obviously the director is bringing a pedigree of that. There's a way in which, the, you know, often the Ealing comedies were the, the type of caper films, you know, once it had the springboard that had led into it, that would lead to that. You can think of a number of them with um, Alec Guinness and such like in there. So I think this is, it does have oh, a, a bit of a, a debt or a revival, however people want to see to it, and also be a forerunner for the Richard Curtis thing, so it yeah. can be in for that. Yeah. But, but yes, I think there is there is the element of bringing together a bit of Ealing sensibility along with elements of Python and, and pushing them together in a way that, that works, thankfully. Doesn't take itself very seriously at all, this film, does it? There's some good stuff about Englishness as well, though, isn't there? Obviously, it's not a serious film, but... It, there's some good stuff about that. I think John. I think that's one of John Cleese's things, isn't it? Because one of the extras, there's a brilliant quote. I don't know if it's his or he's quoting someone else. He, he says, in England, uh, we have the idea that every Englishman wants to get safely to his grave without ever having been seriously embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> it is that embarrassment <laughs> thing, yeah. So it's a good stuff for that. Uh, I haven't. I'm going to shame. I'm going to shamefully admit I haven't seen any of the Ealing comedies. But I've seen clips. Wow. But okay. Are they also farces? Because I think this. I think John Cleese loves French farce. So. There's loads of that here, isn't it? Not to that extent, Stephen, I'd say, would you? It's more like you said, the caper side. Well, the the more famous ones are like sort of crime capers, aren't they? Yes. And, you know, you'll have um, not necessarily full-blown in in this sense that, as you have pointed out, owes an element to the Faulty Towers type thing mm. but, and, and French and the French farce. But no, certainly there is the, the you know, a catalyst will end up with lots of interwoven scenes of trying to hide from the police or hide, hide some bit of loot and then abscond up the Eiffel Tower, there, you know, towards the end <laughs> and the, the, the farcical elements of, of these that, that go on. There's definitely elements from a lot of Ealing comedies and that caper side that do play into this, I would say. And yes, Ealing comedies do celebrate the the peculiarities of Britishness, which obviously this does as well, although this plays it as a juxtaposition for the sort of brash Americanness. Um, yeah. You know, that that's it, part of the, the root of the comedy in this that's, that's a mention. Um, yeah. One of the elements of the Ealing comedies is also like the little man overcoming like the establishment or people in power. You know, or like a community will get together to take on the local council or whatever it may be. So, you know, in a way, this sort of downtrodden Archie Leach, played by John Cleese, that actually gets his come up, you know, gets you know, the best result at the end of the day for his miserable sort of like mundane life that he's chosen to lead. So I'm going to start with our Tony sitting here next to me. Right. How many times do you think you've seen this? Because I've got a funny feeling this is one you turn to quite a bit. Oh, I can put a number on it. More than 10. It is one of those ones that appeal to you, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Now, for somebody that likes older movies, and I mean, Anthony, I mean, you haven't met Tony before, but one thing about our Tony is the youngest member of the crew here, mm. uh, but he's got the oldest brain. It's, it's, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being offensive. But no. You'll agree with that, won't you? You are yeah. totally born in the wrong era. Yeah, 100%. Um Tony is a big fan of like 60s and 70s sitcoms, any old movies. Not a big right. fan of American movies. Is Not massively, no. Yeah, pure British through and through almost. So I can see why this appeals to you. Um, it was you... this movie that got me into Python. 
again, that's the thing, see, because you oh, missed you missed all of that. Yeah. So this was your starting point. This is my introduction. There's some fierce creatures. Yeah, this is what got me into wow, Python. Because you would have had no experience no. of Python in the similar way that the three of us would have done. No, exactly. This is a good angle to go from, guys, isn't it? Look at this. Right, okay. <laughs> Should we talk about... Almost the... like you've done this before, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this, guys. Perhaps we should go through the plot and all sort of chip in as and when you want. I mean, just just join in as as, as you see fit. The plot, as it stands, is London-based gangster George Thomason plans a jewel heist with his right hand man, with his right hand man Ken Pyle. <laughs> Ken Pyle. I didn't realise that was his name. An animal lover with a stutter. <laughs> they bring in two Americans: con artist Wanda Gershwitz and weapons expert Otto West, an ignorant and mean-spirited anglophobe. Right, let's just talk about the characters then. Who wants to start? Um, well, I'll start with uh, Archie, actually. Okay. I, um, I had a bit of a revelation when I was watching this. You know, I try and have a couple of revelations a week. You know, it's good for the, <laughs> good for the spirit. Just don't, no, just, think... just don't do it in front of the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> Not on Sunday morning. Anyway. No, what was funny about this film is that, just, just to backtrack slightly, yeah, I... I was a bit like Tony actually because I I knew Faulty very well. Mm. Like I, you know me. I had this when I was young, and I get into a TV series or a film, I just watch it to death, just over and over again. So I knew that I didn't actually know Python that well. But what's funny about this film, watching it again, is seeing him kind of go into Basil Faulty occasionally. Mm. So remember when he's um, he's trying to get Ken to to say the Cathcart Towers. That's brilliant. He just goes, oh, come on! <laughs> and that's exactly what he, says to, uh, what he says to his car in Faulty Towers. Remember when he's beating the car? Yes, with and, the branch. Uh, I kind of, what hit me was that Archie Leach is kind of like a, it's, it's as if Basil Faulty had divorced Sybil and sort of married into money. Because <laughs> they say, don't they, that he hasn't got any money, like it's his wife who's got the money. Yes. And, he's, and it's like if Basil Faulty had had about 10 years of therapy and calmed down a bit. <laughs> Which is basically exactly what happened to John Cleese, really. You know, that's true. That's true. And so, also, uh, I'll tell you what I noticed as well for the first time: the sort of physical comedy of John Cleese when I watched it yesterday. The bit where he's undressing and you know he's flicking off the socks and rolling him into oh, a ball, course, and, yeah. and and it's almost you know Ministry of Silly Walks type yeah. posing. You know, uh, which well, that's I, another faulty thing. You know, when he flicked the socks off his arm, that little trick. Is yeah, that yeah. the bit with the ice cube in 42 Yeah, the ice cube in Basil 40, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's so funny how um, John Cleese, I don't think he's really necessarily stretching himself too much because it's almost like amalgamation of all the characters already played, which is not a criticism because they're all brilliant. Clockwise was before this, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. yeah, a couple of years, yeah. Which I know, again, he's one of Tony's yeah. favourite films, and it's on the list to do at some point, guys. And I think the four of us need to talk about Clockwise when we get when we do it. Yeah, um, possibly sort of the last great John Cleese performance. This one has there been anything since? I mean, yeah, what films? Yeah, has he, oh, he's done the sequel, hasn't he? But mm. what other films has he done? Don't know. Even done it? Don't even know. I'm pretty sure that, you know, there isn't anything, unfortunately, you know, of, of great note. Not even cameos, really. You know, he's not. Uh, Fierce Creatures. Fierce Creatures. Is that the only one that's listed? Yeah. There you go. Oh, obviously, there's a Bond films, isn't there? But, I mean, it's just a. Oh, we part. played a Q? Q? Yeah. R. He was R, R and then Q. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for the other three of us, obviously Monty Python and Forty Towers, but we lived through it pretty much. Fully aware of John Cleese's where he is in his career at this point. But the rest of the cast, I mean, 
Jamie Lee Curtis doing comedy. We knew her for a com- from comedy for Trading Places. You know, she's always, you know, when you think about her, Jamie Curtis is, is the screen queen, isn't she, from Halloween? But I think she really proves that she can act in this and she's a very good comedian. Well, apparently she was, John Cleese had her in mind and chased her to, and, and she didn't want to do it, but she got persuaded. But apparently he specifically wanted her at the point at which um, writing the thing, hmm. he he envisaged her and, and, and chased her and it was because of trading places that, he, you know, what he'd, not just because he'd seen a tits, but because... Milano, yeah. I'm half Italian, by the way. You're making me go weird with that. Oh. So, commits himself plenty of scenes of snogging her. Good lad. But then she... She kisses all the major male characters in the in the film anyway. That's, that's true. It's been, been yeah. noted. But yes, he specifically wanted her and cha- you know chased to have her on it. And I, you know, obviously, I think she does a, a superb job of playing the part exactly. I mean, the part was written for her. You'd be surprised if she didn't do it well. <laughs> I mean, and I think she provides just the the, the exact level of Americanness and being able to play the the seductress but also with the intelligence and cunning behind it mm. um i think she gets you know she's able to bring all those elements to it convincingly well similarly isn't kevin klein previous to this more of a serious actor as well well yes in fact i'd seen cry freedom the year before which cool. I probably saw that very young hang on a second guys a range there can you hear that you or the noise? There, yeah, there was a... What was that, Tony? It's a guy with a circular saw out, literally outside the house, <laughs> cutting some wood. <laughs> a work van just pulled up. the same guy that you, is usually on the motorbike, is it? Because yeah, that's, yeah he's, he's pulled up on a motorbike with a circular saw and he's just dancing outside the front window. <laughs> yeah. It's actually just a record player and he's BBC sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, I can't hear it. I don't know about Anthony. Right. No, I can't it, hear it at all, actually. Oh, that's something there. It will pick <laughs> it up, though, because we heard it through the headphones here, so it will pick that up, but that's, that's fine. So, yeah, whatever you said Let's about Kevin Klein. We, we got what you said about Kevin Klein, mate. That was absolutely fine, and the, and the deep range and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Cry Freedom, you were talking about. Um, yeah, even Sophie's Choice, I think, I'd seen at some horribly young age. Yeah. <laughs> well, that explains that a lot. Yeah, yeah that, expl- that explains a hell of a lot, yeah. Here you go, son. You're only ten years old. Here's a lovely film, Sophie's Choice. There you go. Sky, you're for life. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, you know, everyone else is brilliant, but I think it's I think it's Kevin Klein's film, really. I mean, obviously it's the writing as well, but some sometimes you get a feeling that someone's delivering like an Oscar performance, you know, almost for the sake of it. But I, I don't feel like that. With him, it's just he's just amazing. And, it's a great was, opportunity, isn't he, for him to just go completely over top, almost like a pantomime villain, isn't it, this one? Well, I was watching a bit of behind the scenes, and what they would do is he would kind of warm up about take 10. Oh, right. So everyone else had to be consistent, because eventually Kevin would, like, nail it, you know, because he'd constantly be changing it as well. That's I was going to say, was there a lot of ad-libbing in this? Because there appears to be, especially with some of the, the foreign language bits where he's, you know, he's, he's sort of dancing about and doing some of these bizarre movements and stuff. As I said, like, it's half Italian. I, I love that in the end, he, he stops saying romantic things. He's just he's just saying, like, names of food. Like Pasta, ins- yeah. Insalate <laughs> verde, which is green salad. Parmigiano, <laughs> <laughs> gorgonzola. Apparently, uh, he went through the the thing with 
listing cheeses. Oh, yeah. Um, because <laughs> the whole thing with names and stuff, you know, there was obviously we understand that Archie Leach is Cary Grant, and, and that's mm. why, because John Cleese uh, grew up just down the road from where Archie Leach was from. But the, apparently, Jamie Lee Curtis, they originally um, <laughs> used. Tony Curtis's original surname on on all the information and all the like scripts and stuff as for her to try and have a laugh at her, you know. Her, wasn't Tony yeah. Curtis Italian? He was, wasn't he? So yeah, but there was Schwartz was 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 the the surname. Ah, uh, oh, is it Schwartz? Um, ah. And then um, you know with with Kevin Klein only you know Kevin Klein he put in a line during the film when they're um, listing off who the potential grass is. Um, for for one of the characters who gets put in prison, and um, they they mention Kevin Delaney, um, which is Kevin Klein's uh, real first name and second name. That gets gets put in there, but to get his own back to some extent, I've heard this is using the the list of cheeses because of the fact that the family name for John Cleese originally. Was um, cheese. His father changed it from from Cle- from cheese to Cleese. Yeah, so he's right, listing he's right. listing cheeses to just take a bit of a, a pop back. But you're right, though, Scott. That there was some interview I seem to remember hearing about where, um, although John Cleese is put down as being the the writer of this, mm. he certainly acknowledges that Jim, you know, Jim Lee Curtis and and Kevin Klein and and Michael Palin, and also um, the the woman who plays John Cleese's wife in this, um, Mariah. Maria, Mariah Aitken. Yeah, yeah. Mariah Aitken. Yeah. She also added some bits with ad-libbing, which improved things. So he's acknowledged that, that they took their own own bits to it. But yeah, Kevin Klein, I think, as Anthony has said, does embrace the role and, and expand <laughs> it out and deserves credit for the fact that, it, you know, he brought it to life. It is against type of what it was at the time for his career, absolutely. Um, but, but I think he's, he's done a he's done a bit more since then with with this kind of stuff because obviously either he enjoys it or people have seen that he's good at it. Just one thing about the ad libs, mm. you know, mind. Uh, Kevin Klein came up with that. You know, when he goes up from the CAA, my name's Man- Mr. Manfredson Jensen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and th- and then though, but what was brilliant was a Mariah Aitken ad-libbed as well she remembered that and said well i work for the cia mr manfred jensen that's right she repeats it doesn't she oh, my, my... Brilliant. that was her that was her like she wasn't prompted to do that wow my father was she in the diplomatic service absolutely well she just plays the same haughty character in everything i've ever seen her in i think <laughs> right yeah champagne ah! what's the matter what are you doing Champagne, dear, to welcome you home. Um, let me pour you a glass. Whose is the car? The car? Blocking the drive. Uh, there you are, dear. Cheers. Well, nice to see you again. Um, how is the, how is the opera, then? It finished early. Didn't Whose car is it? Mine. It's beauty, isn't it? Where did I leave my drink, Archie? Ah. Who is this? Don't you know? How do you do, Mrs. Leach? I'm uh, Harvey Manfred Jensen. I'm uh, with the CIA. CIA? That's correct, ma'am. I was uh, just telling your husband here before I uh, had to go to your beautiful bathroom. Uh, We've uh, got a high-ranking KGB defector in a safe house near here. We're debriefing him as of now, and uh, we're just uh, checking all the houses in the neighborhood. For what? For KGB. Is there any danger? No, 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 no. No, uh, 
No, no, not now. Uh, we, uh, we uh, just want to keep everyone informed. <clears throat> so, Archie, thanks for the drink. Uh, sorry to trouble you folks. I'll see myself oh, up. Oh, keep everyone informed. So there's no panic, ma'am. But isn't it a secret? You have no idea how secret. Well, why are you telling everyone? It's a smokescreen. What? Double bluff. Look, you obviously don't know anything about intelligence work, lady. It's an XK Red 27 technique. My father was in the Secret Service, Mr. Manfred Jinsinjan, and I know perfectly well that you don't keep the general public informed when you are debriefing KGB defectors in a safe house. Oh, you don't, huh? Not unless you're congenitally insane or irretrievably stupid, no. Don't call me stupid. Why not not? Oh, you English are so superior, aren't you? Well, would you like to know where you'd be without us, the old U.S. of A, to protect you? I'll tell you. The smallest fucking province in the Russian Empire. That's what. So don't call me stupid, lady. Just thank me. Well, thank you for popping in and protecting us. If it wasn't for us, you'd all be speaking German. Singing Deutschland, Deutschland, Uberreich. We haven't mentioned Michael Palin who is the most cartoon-like comic character throughout. But Ken. Am I right in thinking, I mean, I I haven't read up on anything this time round, but I'm I'm sure I heard somewhere that Michael Palin's father had a bad stutter. Yes. Is that right? Because I saw something at the time when this was released, and he said he knows exactly what it's like and how to actually bring that across. So he, he was basing that performance on his father then. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and my father had a bad stutter. Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, and and it's what Michael Palin pointed out with this role is that he embraced the the point that people with stutters often are in a situation where the people they know well mm. they don't really stutter with, but it's the people they're not comfortable with. It manifests itself then suddenly and comes mm. across more mm. prominent. And that's something that apparently he did in this film. And he's, you know, drawing upon that personal experience, trying to do it correctly. Um, but still, he got some criticism from some quarters for how he, he did it. And yeah. I think he then set up some kind of charity or something of as a result because of the, the guilt that was put upon him, uh, despite the fact that he tried to do it in a, a true way, mm. which is unfortunate. But, it it um, sounds cruel, yeah. but it is some of the funniest scenes in the entire <laughs> yeah. film. It's, it's horrible to say because, you know, laughing at other people's misfortunes. Mm. But then, you know, comedy has always been like that. You know, slipping on banana skins is one of the funniest things ever, you know, put on film. You know, it's, it's a whole history of people's, like, misfortunes, and we tend to take the mickey out of them. But it brings a brilliant cartoon element to the movie. You know, it just takes it away from the seriousness of the, the plot. Hi, Ken. Hello, Wanda. Ken. This is Otto. Hello, Ken. Wanda's told me a lot about you. Hey, great fish! Oh, a little squeeze of lemon, some tartar sauce, perfect. George back yet? Uh, no, he had to go, 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 go to the bar. What? Oh, that's uh, quite a stutter you've got there, Ken. <laughs> it's all right, it doesn't bother me. Uh, so, uh, George needs a weapons man, eh? A cup of tea, Ken? Yeah. Yeah, he'd like one. I had a good friend in the CIA had a stutter. Cost him his life, damn it. 
quite dark as well because when you think of his attempts to try and get Patricia Hayes bumped off, mm. and <laughs> you know the, the amount of attempts he gets, and he ends up—he's this massive animal lover, and he ends up killing all her pets. Yeah, have you seen the deleted scenes though? No, I don't think I have. Oh, that's really interesting because it's much more gory. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole film's a bit more gory because uh, just want to tell you about one deleted scene when John Cleese trying to get Ken to give the name of the hotel. They they'd made it really really elaborate because a pen runs out, so he can't write down the Capitol <laughs> Towers. Then they have him. Then they have him typing it. He gets a typewriter out, but he hasn't got any paper, so they use uh, toilet paper and they try and feed it into the typewriter. Oh. And then and then he tries to uh, write it in toothpaste on the window. And then and then finally Ken actually cuts himself and writes it in blood on the on the on the, no. on the wall. Yeah. So they cut they cut loads of it. Was this filmed really or scenes, you... but it's much darker. Is it out there, do we know, these actual scenes? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Just put in deleted scenes. You've got John Cleese telling them why I wasn't in the film as well. Yeah. That's good gonna, video. That's going to be my afternoon's viewing then, watching that. That yeah. sounds hilarious. Oh, it's yeah. <laughs> How do they make the dog scenes more gory? They use real dogs. No, they use real dogs, but uh, they just, you just see like the more blood and stuff. That's all. Oh. And there, and there was one where, um, I can't remember, there was another scene with the dogs. Yeah, you just saw like somebody covered, I think even Michael Payne was covered in blood as well. So they just sort of toned it down a bit. If there's someone yeah. out there that can edit all this in for me and send me the full film, <laughs> that'd be awesome. That's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Because as, as you mentioned, Stephen, as well, the ending, I know we're jumping straight to the ending here, with, with the, the steamroller, <laughs> that was going to be the end of Otto, wasn't it, originally? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so for you said so the American market that they they kept him alive. I'm sure it wasn't just mm. because he, he was an American, and um, <laughs> but they uh, they didn't feel that was despite him being a, a shit for the entire film. To be honest, <laughs> they decided that they wanted. Where have they gone? Quick! Where have they gone? They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone. What? Are you all right? They're Where gone. are they gone? They're gone. They're gone. What the? Ah. You will? No, no, no. What? You, have, you, have you got a stutter? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, fine. Don't worry, don't worry. Do you know where they've gone? Fine, fine. Where? The ca- ca- Hotel. Hotel? Which hotel? Hotel? That's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Because as, as you mentioned, Stephen, as well, the ending, I know we're jumping straight to the ending here, with the, the steamroller, <laughs> yeah. 
that was going to be the end of Otto, wasn't it, originally? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so but you said for the American market that they, they kept him alive? I'm sure it wasn't just mm. because he was an American, and, um, <laughs> but they uh, they didn't feel that was, despite him being a shit for the entire film, to be honest, <laughs> they decided that they wanted to, to do more with it. So I'm not sure how logically he can't pull his feet out of some partially wet cement, um, <laughs> yet after being run over by a steamroller into it, fully bodied, he's yeah. able to... Um, uh, escape that when it's even more hardened and, and arrive on the side of a plane but but still uh, apparently um that's that's what happens i mean obviously you don't want to bring too much logic and questioning into into the plot of a film because that would spoil it they won't get the bits to get out of it but um yes that was that was changed and as we said in the credits where there's the the words saying about what happens to the characters almost the breakfast club club ending um <laughs> the true. um you know what happens to the characters afterwards is is on screen, um, and that isn't in all the versions are, that are released in different countries. In some places it is, and some places it isn't. But certainly one of the things they did do with the ending is it, it comes up at the end with the word Finn, um, which yes. obviously ties into the idea of being a French farce, but also ties into the fish. Exactly. Well, yeah. The other thing is that the other ending they had, which has been filmed, is the very last shot when they're on the plane, they, they cut to Jamie Lee Curtis's shoes and it's got a shark logo on it, giving the idea that she's a shark, that she's going to, you know, they're not going to live happily ever after. She's going to bonk him over the head and nick all the money. There you go. And, um, and Robert Town, this is quite bizarre. You know Robert Town who wrote Chinatown? Yes. And hundreds of other great films. He saw the film and he said to John Cleese, you've got to cut that ending. They're going to hate it. Ah, so that's why they cut it. Yeah, so it was much darker. The whole film was quite a bit a bit darker originally. There are some quite dark elements in it, but they're, they're sort of com- comically dark. It's dark comedy, isn't it? You know, especially like mm. you know the whole Patricia Hayes and the dog thing. Just just in general, does anybody sort of know? I mean, Stephen and I often have this conversation about eighties British cinema that there was a resurgence in the early eighties, mate, wasn't there? We talk about Film Four and, and Channel Four productions and all that sort of stuff, and the British film industry industry had a sort of a massive revival early part of the 80s this is 88 i remember this being sort of like a shot in the arm for the british film industry at the time because it was going through a bit of a low period is that right when i was growing up and watching you know barry norman and stuff you know mm. the film programs which i just watched every week religiously mm. all he ever seemed to talk about was how just the british film industry just never had any money yeah which is pretty much true i mean i don't mm. think this film was actually very expensive eight million. Eight million. Yeah, and, and... Just not. I suppose it's yeah, it's not too bad in '88, but no, that's all I remember is just them talking about. It. It's always been a small industry, and I think it's taken off. I don't know, maybe in the 2000s, perhaps. I don't know. But. Yeah, and then similarly on Barry Norman's program at the time, I remember them making a massive thing about this. They were really promoting it in the lead up, with lots of interviews in the weeks before it's released, yeah. um, and a lot of behind the scenes stuff. They were there when they were filming the scene where uh, Otto is holding. John Cleese upside down out the window apologising. Barry Norman's film crew was there filming the film crew, you know, there at the time. And remarkably, this is why it's it's so well regarded as well. The return on that eight million was 188, which is incredible. It's not bad. That's not a bad go. It's not, not bad day's bad. work, is it? Yeah, I think I think the British film industry's just always had a consistent level of good films, but they're just not that commercial. She's almost to their credit. I mean, not talk about this one, because this one's both, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's a good film and commercial, but... I do think this led to the bar weddings and, and 
such mm. like that you know this was a precursor that kind of identified something that would sell in the United States which was a big audience the Britishness and the farce element yeah. I think and, and bringing in an American leading lady that's the thing it, yeah it's the, the elements uh, the, 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 the precursor there is it's almost a, a bit of a a blueprint for subsequent films that were done to try and get them get the money in and be successful as British films abroad. Four Weddings, Andy McDowell. There you go. And, and exactly, Notting yeah. Hill as well. Julian Roberts, didn't they? Notting Hill. But that's yeah. that's not a new idea, Stephen. You think about the the conversations we've had about the Hammer horrors in the early days, when they bring in people like Brian Don Levy into the Quatermass movies. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah the, just there was plenty of them TV series as well as films where they would bring in a, a number of television police procedurals or, or films that were um, back in like the fifties, and they'd have uh, an American detective there who just happened to be actually a <laughs> Canadian. Um, to explain how he could be over or, or whatever, um, and yeah. it, it it was you know shoe on in, but it definitely was to make it more saleable because uh, apparently um, over in the United States they don't want to watch anything that doesn't involve somebody from the United States. <laughs> <laughs> There's one final character we haven't spoke about, and I'm going to just turn to Tony who's sitting here next to me, the gangster himself, the guy who, who is. Jamie Lee Curtis's boyfriend as such, blah, 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 Tom George. Did you recognise him? I want to say I've seen him in something like a Sweeney or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because if anybody's seen him in anything, it'd be you, because you watch, you know, all the old sort of like British dramas and comedies and sitcoms and all that sort of stuff. The only two things I can think of him in, now Stephen will know him from Boys from the Black stuff. He briefly appears in that. Mm. Yeah. Tony, do you remember Spender? Yes. Wasn't he... Jimmy Nail's boss or sidekick in Spender. He was his boss. Because his sidekick was his sidekick was Beric Kaler. There we go. There we go then, yeah. So that's what I remembered him from. So you've seen Spender, Tony, you know what yeah. I'm on about, didn't you? Yeah. So that was not a massively famous face, but no. but, but perfect for this this role. He's one of them faces, you know, yeah. he's always a bad mm, guy. Yeah. Okay. And the player with his name in this because obviously they reversed his real name because it's <laughs> oh, yeah. Tom Tom Georgeson and, oh, and George yeah, Thomason. I'd never noticed that. I've just wow. read that out and didn't even know. <laughs> and Portia, <laughs> Cynthia Cleese. That's it. I've justified uh, my existence on the podcast today. <laughs> That's it. I'm going now. And, and Tony's just pointed out Portia. Um, Cynthia Cleese, John Cleese's actual daughter, and oh, plays the daughter yeah. in um, Physical Bonder. Why did he name her after a car? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming is that Connie Booth's yeah. daughter? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. You look look at her pictures of her now, and you can just see Connie Booth. Ah, right. No, no surprise. Who's who's mother? And obviously you got other people appearing. In, I mean, you know. Stephen yeah, Fry we'll at the end. that later. Stephen yeah. Fry, yeah, yeah. Cameo, very, very brief. Yes. yes. Bashed, man bashed overhead. <laughs> he's actually got a name in the cast. I see. I think he's called like Hutchinson or something. Yeah. <laughs> in the cast. Um, talking about cast then. Stephen, get the keys out. We'll have to go and have a little wander up to the Hall of Fame. Village Hall of Fame, for those that don't know, 
<laughs> I've, I've just created a monster that Stephen has taken the reins of, basically, and thankfully, because it is just getting out of control here. We had this wacky idea five years ago. It'd be nice to honour anybody that appears on the show three times or more and get them inducted into the Village Hall of Fame, because we're not grand enough to have a Hall of Fame. <laughs> Stephen is the custodian, the guardian of the keys, and every week... This spreadsheet, which has probably taken up more memory on his computer than any of his select movies that he might have on there. Um, <laughs> select movies, yeah. Uh, it is threatening to sort of take over the whole of his hard drive. Uh, Stephen, can, can you run through who's appearing um, in the Hall of Fame, who's due to appear, who's multiple appearances, inductees, whatever it is we're going to do, mate, please. Okay, yeah. Um, after that introduction, yeah. Um, <laughs> so those that are making their second appearance, we've actually got five of those. Okay. So we've got Roy Beck, who is in uh, Heavens Above. Patricia Hayes went the day well. A guy called Peter Johnfield, who was in Time Bandits. It's going to become a bit of a running theme. Jeffrey Palmer, who we recognise quite well, who was oh. in um, Prize of Arms, and nice. uh, Mike Raynal, who was in Sweeney. Exclamation mark. Um, <laughs> but we actually have seven people making their debuts in the Hall of Fame with regards to having three appearances. Seven inductees? Yeah. Uh, which you wouldn't have thought, but. Um, so so back, lads, here uh, we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a guy called Jeremy Child. Mm-hmm. Um, whose face most people would, uh, who watch British films would recognise from, from things. He was previously in Darkest Hour and Quadrophenia, okay. which is uh, quite slightly different. There's a guy called John Cleese, oh. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, Life of Brian and uh, Time Bandits. Obviously, the director is included in this because uh, Charles Crichton, previously Dead of Night and Lavender Hill Mob. Excellent. Stephen Fry, aforementioned. <laughs> with uh, Peter's friends, obviously, uh, was the, the main character in that. He was Peter, but also because of his um, cameo almost in Chariots of Fire. Uh, blink and you'll uh, miss him. Yeah. means oh, we, yeah. Uh, we get him as well. And there's somebody called Andrew McLaughlin, who was in Life of Brian and Time, Time Bandits, as was... Michael Palin was also in <laughs> Life of Brian and Time Bandits. Excellent. And uh, then there's Llewellyn Rees, who is in Private Progress and with Nil and I. That brings us up to speed with those making their debuts in the Hall of Fame. Yep. However, we do have somebody who's making their eighth appearance. Eighth? Wow. Yeah, Aidan Harrington. It's a, ha- a bloody Harrington. Now he, a Harrington in this. Son of Victor. We, oh, no. we can't no, find him. We've always any... tried to work out whether they're related. But... Because there's a Victoria Hamilton, uh, Harrington, isn't there? Harrington, yeah. Um, and a Victor presuming... and Aidan. Yeah. So, we can't find out whether they are related or not. But, I mean, if you run um, through the movies, he, he, I'm assuming he's an older man in this then, because I think yeah, his movies were sort Doc, of 50s and time. He was... Um, apparently in the court scene, one of the... Okay. Either the jury or, or one of the... Just the viewers mm. um spectators um spectator isn't quite the right word in a court is it but still <laughs> he was in doctor in the house dunker doctor no heavens above uh night to remember sweeney exclamation mark and uh, trouble in star so there he is in 1988 so, yeah can i just can around. i just say i'm really relieved because i thought you were going to go through that with and no one had been in a night to remember 
because I've been listening to you guys. Everybody. Everyone in England was in Night to Remember. Well, I'm sure if you watch it again, it. you'll find the four of us are one of the lifeboats. Well, this, this is what yeah. we said. The 1,500 people died on the Titanic, and well, we were assuming yeah. there were 1,500 extras. We're not too sure. <laughs> if, if you were an actor who was performing at that time when that film was made, you were in that film. Absolutely. <laughs> if you weren't in yeah. it, you'd be gutted, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's, it's, it's on everybody's CV. <laughs> so it's like the it's like the story of, about Mr. Tennant, uh, Doctor Who fame, who, who was the only person ever not to be in Taggart, who was Scottish. Um, <laughs> so, uh, David David Tennant he, he auditioned three times apparently, never managed to get into Taggart, but everybody else who was Scottish had been on it at some point. And just to, to cap it off, um, we do have somebody making their thirteenth appearance. Hang on, this is a very top of the tree one then. Yeah. And I'm just, um, without even looking, I'm trying to think who we've got up there at 13. I know that the the big hitters are there, but they're probably, are they still at a go on, tell us, put us out of our misery. Who is it? It's one of the, um, the Scarborough's greatest sons, it appears, the unknown sons. Um, a guy called Guy Standiven. Oh, the legend of... of the legend that is... The leg- yes, the legend yeah. of the extras movement, yes. So, um, again, he was he, in... Go on, he must have been in all the old ones Chariots of Fire, Chariots of Fire, Georgie Girl, Hope and Glory, Lolita, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, One Good Turn, Primary Miss Jean Brody, Private's Progress, Quatermass, The Rebel and The Reckoning. Right, quickly look at your spreadsheet. Is he about number two now? He is, I think he's joint number two, as far as I can work out, yeah. Because I remember um, there is a 13 on there. I don't know if that was Cyril Chamberlain or Victor Harrington or even Marianne Stone was pushing towards 13 appearances. Oh, well, as far as the the, the men go, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, Victor Harrington and, and Cyril Chamberlain were, were at the very top. Yeah. And obviously we did have um, the surprise appearance from people like... Fred Wood, who, who, yeah, um, yeah. who's on twelve? We've got the, the the Harringtons up there, but it's it's odd to think that the you know the, the they're really hitting high up. I mean, Victor Harrington is still on twelve as opposed to the Aiden on on eight. So uh, whichever relation they are to each other, the, the, there's still some competition going on. The numbers that are up there, if people like Fred Griffiths on 12 and, and et cetera, et cetera. So I think we do have at the moment, it's it's quite possible that Guy Standeven has just edged his way into the, the lead, to be perfectly honest. A joint lead with uh, Cyril Chamberlain, also on 13. So this film brings him up there. Never ceases to amaze me, this list, when we get some of these names because usually I'll take a quick look down the cast list but I didn't think there would even be anybody of you know that we we've seen over these past few months uh, of that standing appearing in here but obviously he was still a jobbing actor in 1988 which is incredible yeah and still taking the same prominence of role um, <laughs> yeah, totally un- unseen wherever he was yeah man uh, in courtroom or whatever it was I yeah. mean you know the allegedly the most famous um, actor to come out of Scarborough is Ben Kingsley but I, I don't know about that really I think he's uh, certainly he's not on the, the Hall of Fame I don't and I, I bet nowhere near as prolific no I was going to say no, I bet no. he's made more movies than Ben Kingsley I probably guarantee that
I was going to ask a question. Thank you, Stephen. Sorry, thank you once again, Sorry. mate, for doing that, as as always. Well done, Stephen. I, I was going to ask a question, but we've sort of answered it. Do we make comedies of this kind anymore? I know, Stephen, you've mentioned the Richard Curtises, but they were like a short-lived sort of 10-year thing. Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind them, to be honest. I'm not a massive fan, but I don't mind them. But recently, you know, do, do we make British comedies like that or are we more sort of like tv based in our comedic output now there was the sh- the short-lived things like like Shaun of the dead and and mm. you know the, the Conetto trilogy ones and a few few like that that managed to get a bit more prominence outside of this country but i think it does like you've identified it it goes through phases where they just managed to find a hit formula for a couple of films and and then there's a low yeah. before something else gets found and, and put out again. And I don't know what, what is the, the latest well, the one um, I can ones think, to come out that would... The only thing I can think of, and like you said, is once they found a formula, they milk it dry, is, is like the Christmas, co- the Christmas comedy, like the, the, the nativity movies. Jim Broadbent did one called Get Santa or something a couple of years mm. ago. They, they always try to make some sort of Christmas-themed movie with like a big British cast. Doesn't how really popular do it. were they outside That's, of the... Didn't, the well, country, though, they, they weren't even that popular here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not with me, though, right? No. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just only think I can't think of anything apart from that massive success of the Richard Curtis stuff and, as you said, the Simon Pegg stuff. Is there anything? Tony, can you think? Because you're, you're the biggest comedy fan out of all of us, I think. I can't think nowadays, no. No, I think you've covered it. Yeah. Simon Pegg and that Nick Frost, I think it's probably... But yeah. The, yeah, but then every now and again, you know, we'd get a commissioned TV special sort of thing that Stephen Merchant might be in or someone like that's what I'm thinking of now tends to be rather than a, a cinematic, yeah, um, you know, massive budget type thing. It's something that's shown over the holiday period, isn't it? You know, and it's just a one-off special. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we don't. It is that they come out with phases. I mean, not just strictly comedy-wise, but obviously, you know. Shallow Grave and then Train Spotting and, and such and mm. um, oh, yeah. Twin Town and, and stuff and then you know the the, the whole stuff with Merchant Ivory and and etc. Yeah. you know it's phases rather than it being just a general output that is, is picked up on. It's the one one kind of film at a time from us rather than um, accepting that we can do more than one thing at a time. So what is the current phase? <sighs> British movies, come on. Think about it. I, I don't know. We've done we've done the gangster films. We've got through the things like Legend and yeah. stuff, and the gangster films, haven't we? So we've moved on from there. I think um, it might be sort of historical type stuff. I mean, war could be like Dunkirk, Finest Hour. Are we heading towards an era of great war movies, guys? Possibly. Hopefully, mm. as long as they're not too many <laughs> American ones. See, Tony hates all that sort of yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but then, didn't you struggle with Dunkirk? I did, yeah. 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 But you liked the finest day of the Churchill one, didn't you? Yeah, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like the original John Kirk, John Kirk, didn't it? Yes, very much. Exactly, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, perhaps, but then, well, you know, war films have been a mainstay of British output, I think, just there in the background. But again, how much they sell outside of this country yeah. is, a, is another thing there's there's um, one in the pipeline so. at the moment um do you remember the man who never was 
the one we watched yes. about um, using the dead body as a decoy with the D-Day plans. Yeah. Uh, Operation Mincemeat, wasn't it? That's it. Well, there is a movie coming out called Operation Mincemeat with Colin Firth, and they're going to retell mm. the story. So that's that's due for release this year, I think. So, you know, that might, again, spark a bit of interest in that genre, but the British movie industry goes through phases. Oh, Bridget Jones, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that in the Richard Curtis? Wasn't that one of those? Did Richard Curtis do the screenplay for that? I feel like it was because it's that sort of movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because when they made that film uh, yesterday, yes, that terrible Beatles one. By the way, if you want some entertainment, YouTube the 2019 rom com yesterday is a terrible and damaging joke. Watch that video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just yeah, laid my cards on the table. No, I felt like they they put all Bridget Jones, Notting Hill, and Four Weddings into a blender and created a script, you know. So they do. Fortunately, we are we are getting a bit of that with British comedies, you know. But this um, this particular movie is nothing original, or is it? I mean, arguably, I don't know. Arguably, any any like artwork is taking what's gone before and making yeah. it their own. So I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a bit. I think the George Thomason is obviously the most generic character, but it's perfect. Yep, but I think John Cleese is is a unique talent, and I think Kevin Klein's a unique talent as well. I think that's you what know? it is, isn't it? It's the combination of the three, the four leads. Let's say, let, let's include yes. let's include Payne in here as, as the yes, four yes. leads, with a very intelligent, very funny script, and it's not afraid to go into slapstick. It's not taking itself seriously at all. It's you know, it's a heist movie that just goes to another level in regard to the comedy aspect of it. And I can see why it stood out, you know, why it was... It was it's just, a, you know, an amazing movie. I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah, like you say, it's, it's, it's classic. Everything in it is recognisable, especially with John Cleese. It's a bit faulty, it's a bit of Python, it's a bit of clockwise. But then there's nothing quite like it in the end, you know, the combination. I don't remember at the time, but I can imagine that this would have been the one that people in their 50s and 60s that very rarely go to the cinema because there's nothing that I want to see, you know, and all this. Like, that would be the one. That's me like, now. <laughs> that's totally that's me now as well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it would be the one that would drag you out to the cinema for the only time in a year sort of thing. It's like, well, that looks okay, you know. And I can, and I can imagine that's why it was partly so successful because it appealed to all the ages. I see it as comedy that they're not trying to be funny, yet they're hilarious. Whereas like Nuns on the Run... Mm. You got two people dressed up as a nun straight away. <laughs> Try too hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I still like the hard. film. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but it was just sort of like it's everyday people as such, isn't it? You've got it the, is the mundane, almost. and you've got the bullshitter of the of Otto, and but then they're also very sort of theatrical, and like I said, Otto's almost like a pantomime yeah. villain. You know, he's almost twirling his moustache, you know, sort of thing. Yeah, <laughs> and but that. there are people like that. The thing is, I work with people like that, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's great to see people like Patricia Hayes, who was t- towards the end of her, her career there, I'm assuming, letting herself get involved in just something so surreal, almost, mm. with the death of her dog. And, and it is her dogs. What, what, they, they really? Are, they are in reality her dogs, rather than stunt dogs, as it were. They, they were her <laughs> own dogs that, she, that were used in the shoot. Oh, that is amazing. As, as a bit of trivia for you. The stunt um, tropical fish as well, aren't they? Yeah. Presumably they didn't fake that. I suppose he must have been eating those fish, was he? It, 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 they were, they were like jellied yeah. shapes. Uh, for, for, uh, 
apparently, allegedly, he did offer to eat real fish, but the <laughs> they decided. How did they get to, him to like so. to, to move while while they're in his mouth? Then? How did they do that? I think he just moved his he, lips, he's, didn't he? He's, 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 he's used his tongue yeah. to just. That yeah. was clever. I thought they were real. I thought they were eating real fish, but then I suppose they wouldn't be. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine it? Especially now, supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. I was going to make that point actually, Scott. You were yeah. saying would there be anything like this? Of course, we're now strangled in political correctness, aren't we? This is so politically incorrect. So... This movie, even Michael <laughs> Palin so in nice blackface. To come on this podcast, because then you don't have to be. Yeah, but Michael Michael Palin work. in blackface as well. You know that that yeah. would not happen. <laughs> Dreadlock. Yeah. That's harkening back to trading places and Dan Aykroyd as well, isn't it? The scene yeah, on yeah, the train. The dreadlocks on yeah. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> None of that would get through. No. The, the, the cruelty to animals, all right, it's quite obviously a fake dog that's flattened on the pavement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the uproar that that would create nowadays, the fish in the mouth would be incredible, you know. Yeah. You know, there's probably some like strange faction out there that cruelty to chips, you know, or something when they go up Michael Palin's nose. I don't. You never know in this bloody country, do you? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't it, think it, actually. Yeah. I don't think anyone's actually offended though. We're just told what we are. We're just told that they're offended, <laughs> yeah. just to get political for a second. <laughs> the, the that with the the chips obviously did spark the the bit that we haven't talked about, mm-hmm. which was that. You know, on on release, this did cause somebody to find this so hilarious that scene, and um, that unfortunately it killed them off. Um, yes. And with political correctness, you know, there in some sense, even then they mulled over the idea of using that in some way in the publicity, but they decided, you no, know, it's <laughs> a bit right. too. You can't Is really this... publicise a film based upon the fact that it killed a Danish man. You'll die, Danish laughing. audiologist. You'll die laughing, yeah, it says on the poster. Yeah, so what do you do? Die of a heart attack or something? Yes. <laughs> it was apparently, Anthony might know better than me because he's better with facts and, and things. Apparently, there was some incident previously within his family a, a year or two before where he'd done something at some family gathering similar of, of sticking food stuffs up his, his nose and, and stuff and the hilarity that um, had and or, or didn't oh, wow. have and him him you know, finding that funny and other people not quite finding it funny. And it was kind of, he found it funnier on screen because of that history that he had personally and caused him to laugh so much he ended up, yeah, um, having some some arrest. It must be weird for Cleese because there's a Python sketch, isn't there? The world's funniest joke. Yes, and you, you don't know what it, it is. Yeah. Dying yeah. They, have, they, yeah. have to, they have to translate it into German one word at a time with different translators, oh, don't they? Yeah, they <laughs> use it in the Second World War. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. It's, it's, it's the ultimate publicity, isn't it? You know, for a horror film, you know, you'll die of fright or something. You'll die laughing. So if he stopped at his nose. <laughs> <laughs> What is the, the, the famous one with, uh, well, the renowned one with um, horror films is, you know, you'll pay for the entire seat, but you'll only use the edge. That's it. Use the edge of your seat. <laughs> I think that might have been Psycho. Possibly. I think that was the tagline for Psycho, yeah. What was the tagline for Fifty Shades, then? If you seat there. Um, <laughs> you'll pay for your seat, you'll but it'll be wet. you pay for the entire seat, but it'll <laughs> be damp. Yeah, it'll be damp yeah. when you get up. I don't know. <laughs> you'll need to vax it. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your own towel. Yeah. <laughs> so, any final thoughts on a fish called Wanda, guys? Well, I wanted to talk about a couple of favourite scenes. Actually, yes, please. You know, yeah, absolutely. I think my favourite scene 
seen the ball is obviously the sex scene intercut with uh, John Cleese and his wife getting ready for bed. That's very <laughs> clever. The, yeah, yeah. And the bit, the, the bit I love is that they cut from uh, Kevin Klein's. Obviously, uh, he inflates the boot, doesn't he? <laughs> he flies into it. the boot, <laughs> and then they cut to a, a close-up of John Cleese smelling his sock, <laughs> and then clipping his toenails. <laughs> oh my god! Brilliant. Very clever. Yeah. And notice they're in separate beds as well, just like Basil and Sybil. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Very and then much the other, the other one life. was. Um, when he has to eat the necklace. Yeah. And that shot of the necklace going into his mouth just before his wife comes down the stairs. Favourite scenes for you, Tony? Oh, I think it's probably the dogs, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's the reaction of Palin to the deaths of a yeah. man, I think, is the funniest yeah. bit. It's not, not necessarily like the, the bizarreness of the death. It's just like watching poor Palin, this lovely, lovely man who like loves animals, and he's just distraught. Is it, it's, I think it's the one where she finally dies. Um, after the concrete <laughs> block comes down and he goes over and just pushes through the crowd and just starts laughing yeah, <laughs> yeah. hysterically. I'll just everyone else just looking at him like, what? <laughs> this is the thing is there are so many outstanding sort of scenes there's there's not a minute of wasted time here is there it it, it snaps along this movie yeah without being too complicated yeah you know it's, it's, it's just perfect comedy writing uh at a time where i don't think we were being treated to comedies at this level which is why i think it stands out because there was nothing out there especially from a British point of view. It stands the test of time, I think, as well, although it's obviously based in a, the time it was filmed. It doesn't feel in any way that there's a loss due to it being a, an older film in that sense. Oh, it's but... like it is, in that sense, it is like some of the, the, the classic healing things that you just accept it based upon the era at which it's set, rather than some... Some films that do, you know, you 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 watch them and you, and they feel dated and it doesn't work anymore. There's a the the element that this humour transcends through to now and probably would have in some way if it had been written back in the fifties. Um, this could have arguably been been filmed in some way in in the fifties and still been successful. You've also got a point so. there. It doesn't actually feel like this is an eighties movie. There's no. nothing that dates this. It doesn't scream out, wow, mm. this is a late 80s movie. I just realised that, does it? I mean, Apart from the fact you can actually park in London <laughs> and it was moving freely I like around. Yeah, I was going to say that. I like the way at the end you can just get on a flight to Rio. You can get a ticket like five minutes before it's boarding and just walk on the plane. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, and no I, problem. And I bet he was carrying more than 100 millilitres of liquid as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so it's stood the test of time, guys. It's, it's a definite classic and deserves to be spoken of in the same breath as the Ealing comedies. Is that what we're saying then? Yes. I think it's brilliant. I mean, it's a bit of a John Cleese double whammy for me this month because we just did Monty Python and the Holy Grail yes, yeah. for Film Gold, my podcast. Yeah. And um, yeah, we were just so impressed by that as well. I think this is well up there because the way they've edited it, because there, there was a lot of other stuff they shot, but the way they've edited it, it really goes along at a pace. And it's sort of quite a complex plot. It's a clever plot, but you never—it's not difficult to work out what's happening. You know, obviously not. You know, 
And I bet all four of us all still laughed out loud yep. watching it this time around. Yep, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's a fish called Wanda. We're all going to get together again at some point in the next few weeks. And what we've sort of decided is that Anthony's going to have another shot at choosing a movie because, as I say, I sort of hijacked this choice from him. He's promised me he's got a cracker lined up. He hasn't told me what it is. Let's take a short break. We'll find out in just a second. Oh, speak it, speak it! Yes, yes, yes! No, no, no. No, no, no. No, not here. Otto, no, not here. Not here, Otto. Mozzarella. No, not here. Parmigiana. Gorgonzola. Okay, guys, so that was A Fish Called Wanda. Marvellous stuff. Thank you all for being here for doing that. So let's go over to Tony. No, so let's Anthony. go over to Anthony. Don't I knew ask this me, was... I haven't got a clue. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to Anthony. Gonna... I don't even know what day gonna... it is. <laughs> he's going to dip in it and see what, you know, guess yeah. what we were going to be watching. Yeah, Tony, have a think and see yeah, what see you can think what Anthony's got, got in mind. What do you think it is? You don't get any clues, just guess. Come on. <laughs> It's got a short title. Uh, is it Love Actually? No, it's definitely not. <laughs> oh, I'm out of ideas, and that's all I know. <laughs> Andy, over to you, right. my friend. <laughs> all right, here we go. This is a 1968. This is a Christmas film, which, uh, well, it's, sorry, it came out of Christmas. It's definitely not a Christmas film. Okay. We're going back to public school. Which, uh, try and work this out. Yeah, public uh, school. Very short, two words, uh, two letters. Yes, yes, yes. And, and three dots. Yeah. Public school in England <laughs> means private school. We'll try and we'll try and explain that when we review the film. But this is Lindsay Anderson, Malcolm McDowell, and this is If. We've had a request to do this. Oh, nice. Is that me? No, I think it might be Morris in Australia has asked us ah, to cover this. Morris. So no, again, I haven't seen this for years, but I, I remember just really loving it, and I do like I do like Malcolm McDowell. And I think we're going to, I think there'll definitely be a few people in the Village Hall of Fame. I feel like it's one of those ones where a few British, Arthur Lowe, for example, and a few British faces will turn up, yeah. Tony, I'm, I'm going to assume you've never heard of this movie. No. I saw it, Channel 4, again, early 80s, so probably far too young to have watched this. Mm, mm. And I've never gone back to it, so I'm really looking forward to this one. Stephen, you're aware of the movie. I don't know if you've seen it or not, though, mate. I've seen it twice, Ooh, I think, okay. possibly. I've definitely seen it once. I think I've seen it twice. So, but not. I haven't seen it for about fifteen years now. I think of it. Okay. So. And, and do you remember the? Do you remember the? Word spoiler, obviously. But do you remember the ending? I know what it builds up to. Yeah. Only vaguely. So, yeah. Um, but it will come back to me probably as I'm watching it. But <laughs> no, 
Oh, Robin Asquith's in it. All right. Uh, that must be his first appearance. I don't think we've had a Robin Asquith movie. No, we haven't, because we haven't hit our stride yet on the confessions. Well, we are um, starting a new strand this year, hopefully, which is the um, sort of like the saucy 70s. We're going to start doing those in order. All of those. Well, this of this film will fit seamlessly into that. Won't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a, the precursor <laughs> to, 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 to Confessions of a Window Cleaner. Let me just say. <laughs> Yeah, the third man, and then we'll do the questions of window cleaner <laughs> to show some variety. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it was Robin Asquith's first film. Ah, yeah, so you're right. Oh, I remember he's the main character in the window cleaner, right? Yeah, it was also Sid James's son in the Bless This House movie. Yeah, and I remember him in this day. It's coming back, but I, honestly, I think you'll love this, especially if you haven't seen it for years. Yeah, Tony hasn't seen it at all. I think you'll love it. It's great. First time watch. Yeah, yep. this is one part mm. of this as well. Yeah, this would be interesting to see Tony's sort of reaction to this as well. It's probably not a movie you would ever go like to see. Yeah, it's never going to be on. But your we've watch. had movies like that that I've never thought I'd ever watch. I've enjoyed them. Yeah, I say. Let's see how we go. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I know this is. It's a million miles away from Clockwork Orange in terms of the film, but I don't think he's a million miles away from that. You know, because I think he was. He's Malcolm McDowell. You know. Yeah. He's, he's got that thing about. He's got. He does that Malcolm McDowell thing. You know. Yes, so, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. It's, yeah, it's one I've been meaning to rewatch for nearly forty years. So, oh, mm. busy, haven't you? I've, I've, yeah, I've, had, I've had a bit on my plate. Forty years. <laughs> he was, he's going to watch it for his own part, chief, and then didn't get around to it. Yeah. That makes me sound really old when I say that, doesn't it? Well, I watched it, you nearly ten years now. Yeah, I last watched this movie probably about forty years ago oh. during the war. I wish I reminded <laughs> you about then when I first met you. Now. <laughs> Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure to have a four-way. Well, <laughs> yeah. I've been Scott, he's been Tony, he's been Anthony, and he's been Stephen. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I will see you all very soon. See you soon, thank you. Can I plug my podcast, please? <laughs> before we go... Before, Stop letting me plug my podcast. Before we go, <laughs> before we go, I hand you over to Anthony, who's going to let us know all about... Is it three you've got now, sir? He's three. Only three, yeah. Three One podcasts. behind you, though, aren't I? <laughs> three podcasts. <laughs> Off you go, sir. I didn't put you up to that, by the way. <laughs> yes, Glass Onion on John Lennon. Deep dive into John Lennon. Just released uh, an episode, John Lennon in 1969, with a certain Scott Phipps. Oh, yes, that's a cracker, that one. Classic episode, but loads of audio <laughs> audio clips and stuff. and Very, very prescient in the current times. Yes. Film Gold. No competition to you. And uh, Life and Life Only, which is a podcast about life, looking at psychology and alternative media. I don't believe any of the bullshit you see on the BBC, uh, etc. Yeah, yeah. uh, yes, yes. Uh, Everything's very simple, isn't it? Available everywhere you get your podcast, basically. It's all over the Absolutely. place, isn't it? Fantastic. But yes, uh, just joke aside, the, the, the one we just put out, John Lennon, 1969. Uh, is a good is a goodie. So, I, I listened so. to half of it last night, and I love the way you've put in all the um, the audio clips of what we're discussing throughout the thing. It's it's, it's great. It's a very very good episode. That's on uh, Glass Onion on John Lennon, guys. Glass Onion on John Lennon. Yeah. I won't spoil the ending. <laughs> <laughs> so that has been Real Britannia. I've been Scott. He's been Anthony. He's been Tony. He's been Stephen. See you next time, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Take care. Absolute shah. A positive shah.
Wilson. Good luck. Thank you. British end up, sir. I'm sick of pains. <laughs>